Winter was here, but we are just getting started here on a Game of Thrones post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are very happy to see a bunch of warlocks flamed to death. I am Rob oh, yeah. Here is Josh Wiggler. Josh, season two is in the books. Season two is in the books. The book is called Clash Throw of Kings. Throw it in the safe. Yeah. Close it up. Lock it. Can you believe nothing in the vault? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The bravado, uh, the gall on XXD just uh, prancing around Karth like he owned the place. The and he king really of Karth. Nothing. He owned nothing. Hmm. Yeah. He did have some twist. valuable plates, though. Enough to buy a small ship. Let's just, like, stress the size of the ship. Yes. (laughs) So finally, Jorah gets his ship that he's been looking for for most of the back half of season two. And away we go. Heading towards season three, which we'll pick up soon. We'll we'll go right into that next week, right? We're not going to take no, a break. Well, you, yeah, I guess. I mean, we don't have to do like the season two in review, and we could do that here today. I think I, I would love to do like a stop down on season three and season four, but like I'm fine if we just want to completely put season two in the rear view today. Yeah, it's fine. I think it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. I think we're excited to get to season three. So a lot of different things to talk about, and surely plenty of things to discuss once we get to the spoiler section of our podcast where we will have our three buzzes for spoilers oh my god uh do you think that it's possible that theon Greyjoy has been furious with us if he is a listener to this podcast because we're always honking the horn at the spoiler section yeah, well he we don't do to- it all night when he's trying to sleep i know he really has it out for uh, anyone with a horn i think he's just not a fan yeah, he doesn't care for that. All right. Not a big fan of the brass section. Of, uh, <laughs> no. The Westeros band. No. All right. So we mentioned the warlocks and everything that's going on at the House of the Undying. Josh, we had our resolution to that story. I'm sure in the spoiler section, we will discuss uh, some of the great changes that exist between what we saw on the TV show and what we read in the book at one point but the warlocks are all gone the warlocks are gone no more blue raspberry that's out the window uh yeah a really kind of i don't know um i'm not I'm, like do you remember how you felt about this sequence when you watched game of thrones for the first time because i have no frame of reference for what it would be like to encounter this scene without having already encountered it in the books. You went back and you explored the books, you know, maybe I think like four or five seasons into Game of Thrones mm-hmm. for you. What was what was your experience with this uh, scene like for the first time? Yeah, remember? so there was a lot of hype around the uh, House of the Undying and the vision. So I, I was paying careful attention to this and, you know, I never read the actual books. Don't shame me. I listened to the audio books with, counts, counts, uh, with the great pyromancer, Roy Detrice. R.I.P. Yes, he, that I was in Las Vegas and I was I, I remember it well, the, uh, the the passages in the book. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can Google in terms of everything that Danny sees there. Here in the TV show, we really see uh, three different things. Uh, we see her uh, appearing to be in the uh, Red Keep. Uh, it, the Iron Throne with right. uh, there's a new sunroof 
Looks like uh, they've opened up the place, open air, <laughs> yes, alfresca. Remodeled, yes, they've remodeled. That's since, nice. Uh, That's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's if it's seasonally. Air appropriate. conditioning looks to be a little bit uh, on the fritz. Just going cuckoo haywire. Very cold in there. Yeah, I think they overcorrected. I think that you know, like it must get hot and stuffy in there, and they just went in the complete opposite direction. A song of ice and fire, indeed. Right, and then Danny is walking through the gate at the wall, coming out there. Uh, I feel like that's weird. It's weird to have Danny at the wall, and then uh, we see Danny with Khal Drogo and the baby, the stallion yeah. announced the world. My sun and stars, moon of my life. Uh, it's great to see Jason Momoa back in the Game of Thrones mix, of course, called Drogo, who had passed away in the season one finale. Never expect to see that guy again. And suddenly here he is at the House of the Undying. And I think pretty quickly, in fairly short order, it becomes clear to Daenerys that like some trickery is happening here. Like none of this, uh, some chicanery is happening here with Call Drogo. And this is not the real Call Drogo. I did like the reference to the Nightlands again. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we brought up like, maybe we're just in the Nightlands. And like for a hot minute, you're thinking like, oh, so now there was some significance to the title, the Nightlands after all, but it doesn't seem like they're in the Nightlands. It no. just seems like Danny's having some sort of strange vision of Call Drogo. So we also see um, their baby, their infant son that would have been, but never was because of everything that happened with Miri Mazdur. So it's nice to see Call Drogo again. It's a very quick return to that world before Danny realizes that something is up and she comes back and she encounters the blue raspberry mouthed <laughs> Piat Pri one last time. Yeah. You know what bothered me? That Danny makes no effort to hold the baby, really pay attention to the baby. She's just only focused on uh, Khal Drogo. Yeah, well, because she's probably, I don't know, she doesn't she, she doesn't know the baby. She never met the baby. Uh, she doesn't know what's going on. I think she's very out of sorts and very weirded out by the whole thing. Um, yeah, you know, I think the whole thing is just very, very confusing and strange. And she just very quickly is like, no, nah, none of this is happening. This is this is all clearly in my head. You know, Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen. She's sharper than uh, than maybe we're giving her credit for to be able to figure this all out so fast. Yeah, the Piat Pri, who we assumed was pretty sharp. Uh, did not see this coming that the dragons were going to be able to breathe fire and burn him to death. Yeah, I can't believe your dragons breathe fire, Khaleesi. Mm-hmm. Like, this is unheard of. I've never heard of such a thing before. Yeah, you would think that this would be something he had been prepared for. The entire House of the Undying thing just unravels so swiftly with like such ease. Uh, there's like it's just like the easiest thing in the world that Danny is like she's chained up. Uh, she gets chained so easily. I don't know why they had to chain her like that, though. Yeah, I don't get it either. Well, I guess like the plan was so your dragons came back into the world and simultaneously as your dragons were brought into this world, our magic reactivated and our magic is stronger when the dragons are here and the dragons are stronger when you are near them. So we are going to keep you all together here in the House of the Undying and we're going to be awesome warlocks forever. But that plan is unraveled with the, you know, insane swiftness. It is just completely, completely undone in like an instant 
And I don't know. It makes you wonder, like, what kind of, you know, what, what were they really thinking here? What did they think was going to happen here? Uh, so even with, like, chains around her wrists and everything, the dragons are just able to, like, burn Pyat Pri with a single burst of fire. He looks like uh, like Bradley Whitford in Billy Madison in that scene where he gets lit on fire during the academic decathlon. Uh, and then he's done, and that's it, and there's no more Pyat Pri's. And the next time we see Danny, like, she's totally fine. Like, how did she get out of the chains, let alone out of the house? Oh, the the dragons time, so. could have burnt them. I guess. Yeah. Like, how did she get out of the, Drogon, out of the place? He though? like smoked that uh, chain that he was on. And uh, I don't know that. Look, they, they figured it out. How'd she get in there? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't mind. I don't know. The, the yada yadaing through most of Karth, fine. You know, this storyline is just kind of whatever. But the whole yada yadaing of the House of the Undying is uh, it's a it's a thorn in my side, an Alistair thorn in my side when I think back on season two of Game of Thrones, the whole Danny storyline. But it's done. Okay, it's over. we'll pick that back up. Our yes, House of the Undying yes, talk yes. and uh, have some more to say about that. All right, so let's bounce around uh, Westeros and talk about what's going on here uh, in King's Landing. We see Tyrion wake up after being taken down by uh, Sir Mandon Moore. Uh, I love him on This Is Us. He's really great. <laughs> really, really great. Yeah, yeah. Mandon Moore, very, very good. Uh, was the, He's was old the... sometimes. He's young sometimes. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I feel bad. I believe that uh, Sir Mandon Moore was recently widowed. Is that correct? Uh, <laughs> watch. Yes, that it turns out that yeah, they had some dragons uh, running around the house, and uh, yeah. somebody said the wrong word. And yeah, dragon smoke inhalation yes. is no joke. No joke. Yes, uh, as depicted right after the uh, super Clegane ball. So that was <laughs> <Super> yeah, <laughs> that was a very sad day. <laughs> oh my god, the the eagles. There's some sort of eagles, falcons. I don't know. I was gonna go. Ah, forget it. It's <laughs> falcons over. It's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to connect it to the air but that's a falcon that's not gonna work yeah anyway anyway True patriots in king's landing yes so Tyrion ends up uh being spoken to by pycelle who not thrilled to see him after the situation was a little bit reversed the last time they had an interaction of Tyrion being in the power position oh these are your new chambers you're not hand of the king pycelle taking right. a lot of glee in telling Tyrion what time it is Yes, for sure. And it's definitely an alarming sight. And, you know, Tyrion is very right to be just like instantly unnerved by the fact that Pycelle is out, considering he threw Pycelle into the cells. And now here he is standing before him. And it seems like he still has a decent memory of what had happened to him at the Battle of the Blackwater. It's a really cool shot that opens up the episode where, you know, it's like a close up on Tyrion's eyes and there's like fire in his eyes, like he's still looking out at the battle. And then the color shifts and you can tell that he is suddenly... Uh, did you feel like it was a anymore. lost episode? I liked it. I did. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the eye motif. Mm-hmm. Uh, start an episode on somebody's eye and I'm probably in. Uh, <laughs> so that's great. And then we cut from Tyrion's eyes and everything going on in the cells to another uh, important body part that is uh, being focused on when we see Tywin Lannister. Uh, and his horse's third Landing. eye, right? <laughs> I don't know which one it is, but it's something. And it's yeah. uh it's it's a very gross first image that you get of Tywin Lannister accepting uh the title officially of Hand of the King from Joffrey. He's the savior of the city and hand of the king. And F this guy and the horse he rides in on as he rides a horse into the Red Keep to accept this title. Feels unnecessary, yeah. doesn't it? Just a little bit. What was the more disturbing imagery for the Red Keep in this episode? Tywin's horse 
force or uh, the roof being blown off it in the house of the undying the horse for sure it's you know it's not close like you you start on a close-up of the of the horses behind as it is relieving itself Mm -hmm. uh like right on camera and like we've seen a lot of gross stuff on game of thrones but like this one is remarkably it just feels so unnecessary uh you know actually believe it or not if you are watching game of thrones for the very first time and you're skipping the spoiler sections uh you're gonna miss out on some horse poop talk in the spoiler section i think yeah so. Wow. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll get there. Remind me. Josh has a scoop there. Okay. So no. yes, we Gross. see that uh, Tywin is being presented as the savior of the city. Is that an official medal? Is that an official title, savior of the city? I don't know. I think so. It feels like it. I mean, he was already handed the king, wasn't he? And t- you know, Tyrion was just kind of acting titles, on his behalf, titles, so. titles. Okay. Yeah, titles on titles on titles. Okay. And so we have a whole like award ceremony and uh, some of these awards could have been handed out at the technical ceremony in my mind. But uh, so we are giving uh, Peter Baelish. He's getting an award for all of his cunning and he is being presented with Harren Hall. We uh, mentioned Tywin being the savior of the city and uh, Loris Tyrell and uh, your house came to our aid. You get to make a request also. And he presents uh his sister marjorie and she still has her innocence she would like to say a few words to joffrey and she has long admired joffrey and maybe these two crazy kids should get together if only if only sansa wasn't in the picture i know and it's it's uh, it's a great moment because like even joffrey is like ah man and i would love to do it i would love to get married to marjorie terrell but i am i am you know in this relationship with sansa stark and i can't i can't break that like suddenly joffrey is standing on ceremony even after his mother gives him an out he's still like yeah but i really don't know and then pycelle has to be like uh, i talked to the high septon you're good you're fine like everything is totally fine and so Joffrey at that point announces that he is going to marry Marjorie Tyrell and Sansa, who like you're trying to kind of gauge where she's at with all of it for the first part of this scene. And then she slips away from the crowd and she starts laughing to herself because this is the happiest day that she has had in a very long time. Certainly the happiest news that she has had in a very long time uh, that she's no longer going to marry Joffrey Baratheon. But uh, speaking of of poo-pooing, poo-pooing on parties here as Littlefinger comes in and gives her uh, a little reality check. Yeah. And what do you think? You're going to just go home? Come on. Don't don't be crazy. And so Littlefinger tells her, look, you've got a tender heart. I can see that. And, you know, uh, but listen, Joffrey's never going to let you go. And, you know, he's going to, if you know, find other ways to enjoy you. Trust me. Trust me. Sansa, I am Littlefinger. I know your mom. She's like a sister to me. Ew. That's, 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 well, listen, we're in Game of Thrones. We know what's up with the Lannisters. So it's like a Lannisterian vibe that Littlefinger is putting out to, to Catelyn Stark if he's looking at her like his sister. But he's saying to Sansa, I will help you get home. One day. Uh, I will one help day. You. Yeah. Feels like a big promise given, uh, doesn't seem like something that the Lannisters would do very easily would be to give up Sansa Stark and Littlefinger just got granted Hall, and all of this lavish praise was heaped upon him so I don't know how that's going to happen but you know it's what he's saying he's he's promising and I'm sure Littlefinger you know he's not the guy who's ever going to break a promise. Right. Uh, We also see a couple of Varys conversations in this episode as well. Uh, We see Varys 
spends some time with Roz and goes to go see her and says, hey, I see you as more than just a collection of profitable holes. And with that kind of sweet talk, he wins over Roz. Yeah, he says to her, like, I don't, you know, Littlefinger looks at you, you know, as, you know, a profit machine, but I look at you as a, you could be my partner. Uh, and so this is clearly setting up what's going to be a pretty massive story in, uh, in the future as Varys and Roz are teaming up. The team up we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did feel like it was a little weird that Roz knows of Varys, but does not know what Varys looks like. Does, does Varys have like a secret identity during the day? Does nobody know what he looks like? I don't know. I mean, Varys, uh, I think we've talked about this before that there's like some aspect of like, uh, like kind of like master of disguise to, to Varys. The show doesn't really do a ton with it. Uh, certainly not up to this point, but I think that there's a little bit of that that is filtering in from the books where he kind of is a little bit more of a chameleon than he is on the show. Mm-hmm. Not much more, not much more, but he has his moments. Yeah. Uh, we then see Varys with Tyrion and trying to explain to him what happened and how it was indeed Sir Mandon Moore and uh, your sister or your father. One of them had you potentially try to be executed. And that's upsetting. <laughs> you know, I don't think that, you know, Tyrion thinks that there's a lot of love lost between him and his family. And I think I think he even says something, you know, to that effect, if not verbatim. Uh, but to, to find out that he has been targeted in this way, I think, is very, very alarming. And what's worse is he's no longer going to be hand of the king. He's not in his uh, former quarters. He's in this new place. And uh, Varys is saying, like, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be hanging out too much anymore. Like, I will never forget what you did for this city. And I I will always know what you did and some other people will probably know. But uh, by all accounts, your dad saved everything. And, you know, as a self-preservationist first, I can't really be hanging out with the guy that they may have been trying to kill. Mm -hmm. So this bromance that's been uh, brewing between Varys and Tyrion, um, I don't know if I want to say it's short lived. It seems like there's still some affection between these two characters. But Varys is basically saying, I can't be seen around with you very much anymore. That's right. But Shay can be seen around him, even though, you know, against uh, Tyrion's better judgment, she'll come in and she wants him to take off the bandage. Take take off these bandages. Let's see what you look like. Yeah. The mirror, the mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we get we get Tyrion's face. Uh, we're seeing his scarred face for the first time. Uh, and she's really not gentle with her assessment. She says, you're a mess. You're a mess. <laughs> it's like, not the thing you want to hear, but I guess good. points of, points for honesty. Um, and she's pitching him on like, hey, how about we get out of here? Do we have to be in King's Landing anymore? Why don't we go to Pentos where we can eat and drink and, you know, do other stuff? Uh, and Tyrion is the guy who says, but I like it here. I like out talking these people. I like out thinking these people. I like it more than anything I've ever done. Uh, so it seems like he wants to stay despite everything that has just happened to him. Uh, not just the assassination attempt, but getting busted down in terms of the hierarchy. And Shay is going to agree. She's, uh, she says, you have a shit memory. I am yours and you are mine. And so they hug each other. And that is, uh, that is going to be the end for Tyrion and Shay this season as they're going to choose to stay here in King's Landing. Okay. Josh, uh, let's bounce around to, uh, we really are, you know, checking in on just about every story it's, in this episode. Yeah. 
that's how they do it with these Game of Thrones season finales, just in terms of the format. I think that really you, you do tend to get like your biggest moment is happening towards the end of the season. And then the final episode, at least through two seasons, has been a lot more of cleanup. And I think we're getting some cleanup here on a few different storylines. Basically, every single storyline is just getting wrapped up in a little bit of a bow. Let's go from one Lannister brother to the other and check in with Jamie and Brienne as Brienne is still trying to escort Jamie back to safety. And they have a little bit of a conversation about uh, whether or not <laughs> Brienne is as innocent as Marjorie Tyrell claims to be. Right. Yeah. And Jamie is once again really pushing the buttons of uh, Big Brienne, as he calls her. Uh, but the conversation, they don't really stick with that for too long because they encounter some other unfortunate business. Yeah. They see th- three bodies that are hanging from a tree. Uh, and we find the three men who uh, put those bodies in the tree uh, shortly thereafter, after Brienne wants to bury these corpses. And they're northerners, you know, even one of them just like looks like a like a uh, like a bootleg Ned Stark, Bodega Eddard uh, is is showing up here, and these you know it, it's kind of a testament to the fact that like we traditionally think of Game of Thrones at this point as the Starks versus the Lannisters, the good guys versus the bad guys, but here we're seeing three Northerners, three Stark men who have killed probably innocent people here who are hanging from this tree and are pretty terrible people, and Brienne is going to kill them, uh, two of them quickly, one of them slowly, and. Uh, uh, it's just, I think, challenging our notion of, uh, you know, one side is 100% uniformly right and one side is 100% uniformly wrong that may exist at this point in Game of Thrones. I think we're starting to see those uh, ideas challenged a little bit with this storyline. Yeah, they have the conversation a couple times in this scene where they talk about Jamie accuses Brienne of fighting for the Starks. She says, no, I don't fight for the Starks. You know, I represent Cat Stark. And at the end, after Brienne kills those three guys, then Jamie says, you know, those were Stark men, right? And she's like, I told you, I don't fight for the Starks. I'm a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. Free agent, free agent Brienne of Tarth. And even after all of that, like the reason that they're even in this fight is because Brienne wanted to take the time to bury the corpses. And if they just like kept going, maybe they, they don't encounter these guys. But then she kills these three people and she's sticking around to keep burying them. So like you got to imagine like probably three more people showed up and three more and three more and it just went on forever. Never stopped. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Cat Stark, uh, we see a lot of tension between her and Rob Stark because Rob is getting very close to marrying Talissa, the wonderful lady that he met on the battlefield and really just going out of his way. To go back on that deal with Walter Frey. He's like, please, mom, don't make me do it. I really don't want to do it. And she's like, I know, I get it, but Walter Frey is a dangerous man to cross. Uh, but Rob's going to do it anyway. You know, he his heart is telling him one thing, and dad's not here to tell me what to do anymore. And I'm not going to, like, look at you, mom, as somebody who can tell me about being uh, what's going to happen if you treat your oaths recklessly. You lost the moral high ground, mom. Yeah, yeah. Moral high garden. Uh, yeah, so she's no longer going to be able to tell him what to do. And despite all of this advice from Catelyn, who says, if you, if you marry this woman, then your own men are going to see you as somebody who uh, doesn't care about his oath. And that is going to be something that could challenge you down the line. He is still going to do what he is going to do here. He is going to marry 
Talisa. So Talisa is now Talisa Stark, and it's a very sweet wedding ceremony. It seems like very nice, and uh, yeah, I thought that quiet, intimate, small. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, they, you know, they say the words, and then they have their vows. I am yours, and you are mine. And that is uh, really echoes the previous scene, which is Shay and Tyrion, uh, which are the words that they said to each other as well. Yeah, they were just missing out on like naming all of the gods. That was not part of the Tyrion and, and the Shay scene. Maybe they just didn't know him by name. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's kind of a nice little, you know, like if not, um, if Tyrion and Shay are not like officially married or anything like that, I think that they are looking at each Common other law. as they're kind of, yeah, they're locked and loaded. They're domestic partners, basically, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, let's keep talking about the Starks and let's talk about Arya Stark, who with Gendry and with hot pie they have escaped to freedom now and uh we see a familiar face uh for the time being in jack and hagar he found them and i like when aria says oh how did you find us he's like of all the things you've seen this is the question you have for me <laughs> as i was watching that too so you know aria and hot pie and gedry they're walking along and jack and is like on top of this really high cliff face and suddenly when aria like rounds the corner because she wants to go and see him uh jack and is no longer at the top of it and suddenly he's like now down there behind him and in my mind as this scene is playing out i'm thinking about like what you and i are going to talk about on the podcast i'm like we're going to get into this for a long time i just i can feel it this is the kind of thing that you and i will just like sink our teeth into for an necessarily long amount of time how to get down yeah <laughs> yes that's just the kind of thing we talk about and jack and agar is like after everything that's the question it's just very meta i thought i thought very meta towards our podcast yeah style. i mean i was wondering the same thing myself and maybe the time like we weren't seeing like a real time in terms of maybe like aria walked <laughs> uh, you know a couple more hundred feet and then he came out from there Maybe just jumped and he has a very soft touch on the yeah, landing. Or there's like a slide or something. Some yeah. way down there. Okay. The faceless slide, yeah. Yeah. So he is pitching Aria on, you know, uh, okay, why don't you come with me to Bravos? Why not? What do you have to do? Yeah, he's really trying to push this. Like, you know, I think that you've, you've got some talent here. I think this would be great. I mean, a, d- a dancing master is cool, but a faceless man, you don't even want to know. Like, it's just so great. And you've got all these people you want to kill. And if you become one of us, you'll be able to do that in like five seconds. And Arya seems tempted, but ultimately she has people that she needs to find. Yep. She needs to find her mom. She needs to find her brother. She needs to find all of these people. Yep. And so he gives her a coin and says, one day this coin of great value can be redeemed by any man of Bravos, and they will give you a ride to Bravos if you give him this coin and say the words, Valar Margulis. Now, do you think that that works for anybody from Bravos? Like, th- is that just like part of how you're how you're born and raised? Like, if anybody gives like, you this oh, coin, I wasn't even going to Bravos. So yeah, I was kind of yeah. going to Ashmark. Uh, Ashmark, right? <laughs> really not on the way. It's yeah, on my way to yeah, Dorne. Yeah. It's really the opposite direction. Uh, right? Maybe you know a guy. Maybe you know a guy that's like on his way to Bravos. Yeah. So uh, she's gonna say uh, no to the Bravos trip. Uh, but she doesn't want Jack and Hagar to go. She wants to stick around with him. But apparently Jack and Hagar is no longer. He says Jack and Hagar is dead. And then he turns around and he does like he pulls a page out of like Beetlejuice where like he does something to his face. And then he turns around. And he just has like a completely different face. Yeah. Like he's just real down. Worst face, I think. 
that seems like a very cruel thing to say for this this poor guy who who you've just mocked his face. I feel like he looks he looks fine. He looks totally fine. I don't know the name of the actor, but he looks like a pleasant fellow. Just saying, I like the regular Jack Nagar face better. <laughs> he changed his hair too. Like he has like the same general shape of hair, but like the white streak is gone. Now it's just like you know pure black hair. He's got uh, I don't know. He's kind of got like the furrowed brow, but he still has the same voice. His voice is exactly the same. So. Uh, if you're a fan of Jack and Hagar's voice, at least Jack and Hagar's voice is not dead at this point. But we've never seen anything like this at this point in the show. So it's a very confusing, mystifying thing. And the further along we are getting in Game of Thrones as we are pushing forward through these episodes, it seems like every once in a while, like a new improbable thing is happening. So it does make you wonder, like... Is this is this a more magical world than we've been led to believe? You know, one of the high concepts of Game of Thrones is that it's like kind of like grounded, realistic fantasy. But now we've got dragons. We've got warlocks or had warlocks. Now we've got people who could change their faces. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's check in with our Winterfell stories. And we saw Theon very upset at the beginning of the episode. And he did not like that there was these guys uh, blowing the horn. Uh, I don't even like all of this noise. (laughs) He hates it. He hates it. I think uh, great work from Alfie Allen in this episode in the two scenes that he's in, like the just like the shit fit that he throws about the horns that have been blaring outside of Winterfell for the past few days. But I also really loved his scene with Maester Lewin where he's talking about how uh, everybody's always been telling me my entire life, you should be lucky to be a prisoner. You should be so grateful that you are Ed's, uh, Eddard Stark's prisoner, that this is the guy who has taken you captive. Mm-hmm. And like, can you even imagine what that does? to somebody psychologically uh and i i thought that that was good i thought that that was a really compelling scene and maester lewin is really trying to give theon some advice and be like you should probably just get out of here you have no shot if you go to the wall if you you know take the black and join the night's watch no one can come for you that is basically your only shot here but Theon is stubborn to the end. He would rather die. You know, he is he is opting uh, for death is the option that he chooses. Uh, he's going to lead the uh, the Iron Islanders into battle against these people who have surrounded Winterfell. Yeah, there's some great dialogue back and forth with Theon and Maester Lewin, where Maester Lewin is like, uh, hey, uh, I think you're surrounded. He's like, oh, thank you, wise bald man. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really it's very good. It's a very good scene between these two. Uh, and of course, it's going to it's going to end pretty poorly. Well, for both well, sure, of these guys, sure. It looks like. uh, yeah. I also like that Theon is like, uh, tell everybody, like, send more ravens. Like, uh, you killed all the ravens. Like, ah! you killed the ravens. <laughs> there, are, there are no more ravens. All the ravens are dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just all all of the ways that Theon's plans have backfired uh, in, in fairly epic fashion. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing but here. Theon gives a pretty rousing halftime speech to the troops like it feels like okay maybe he's gonna get everybody on his side and then ultimately he just ends up getting you know clocked over the head and really on the back it's it's a little bit of a vulcan nerve pinch if you ask me i don't really know how the blow that theon took ultimately just knocks him unconscious but we'll go with that 
Whoever kills the hornblower will stand in bronze above Pike is my favorite part of the speech. <laughs> it's just how he's like singling out whoever kills the horn guy. You are going to be such a legend because that guy sucks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a short lived speech. It is one of, I think, like the the better like war rallying cries that we've seen on Game of Thrones through 20 episodes at this point. Um, and having just come off of the battle of the Blackwater, I think your expectations are like, oh, my God. Like a really epic action scene is about to happen. We're probably going to lose Theon in a really epic way, and then he just gets yeah, he just gets his lights knocked out. Uh, which is it's a it's a funny subversion. It's a it's a good moment, and it's sadly like you can't like really uh, kind of live in the comedy of it for too long because it also comes uh, you know part and parcel with Maester Lewin's going to get stabbed in the guts. Yeah, uh, and as as we know, that's going to be the end of him ultimately. Yes, and then also the same guy that's been advising. Uh, Theon this whole time of like hey maybe you should go to Winterfell hey how about that it's the same guy that knocks him out LVP of the season for sure this guy this guy is the worst like you backed yourselves into this terrible corner like you were totally like in Theon's ear about taking Winterfell and doing all of this and now you are completely surrounded with no plan and you're not even seeing the plan through like what was your plan man what was your plan uh, so screw that guy. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with him and the rest of these Iron Islanders? It seems like they've got some plans for Theon as they put a bag over his head. So who knows where that's okay? Going. So Theon is escorted out of there. Uh, later on, we'll see Osha sneaking out with Bran and Rickon and Hodor from a really trashed Winterfell. Yeah, Winterfell In is. A- in tatters for sure there's fires there's you know everything seems to be ravaged and ruined it's not a good look for winterfell and uh very sadly we see that maester lewin is on his way out the proverbial moon door as we go to the weirwood and uh he has his you know he's looking very very grim he's looking very very pale and he's gonna give basically his final words to brandon rickon he's gonna tell osha that she is the only person who can protect these to and he is going to strongly encourage them all to go north toward the wall to castle black and john snow can protect them from there yes go find john he can help you but he's not there and so uh osha is asked to do a solid for maester lewin and to uh take him out quickly we do not see it but uh she appears to oblige yeah, I think, you know, no, no real reason to, to, you know, draw that out. Like, we'll never see Maester Lewin again. That's the end of Maester Lewin. Yeah. And I think that the show, the show does us a kindness of not having to, to see that, you know, get it done fast and just let it be done. And she has obliged. And that is the end of Maester Lewin, which is very sad. Uh, I, I really liked that character. And he, he was really fun to have back in Game of Thrones for this short little while of this first 20 episodes of the, of the rewatch that we've been doing. I'd forgotten. Like, he's just a, he's a, he's a great source of comedy when he wants to be. He's a great source of wisdom. And I think that, you know, not just like, the sacking of Winterfell that has happened this season, but also I think with this final moment here in season two, with the death of Maester Lewin, really marks a big shift in the show of uh, of you know this era of Winterfell in the North and the Starks being like the beacon of goodness and sort of like your main protagonist storyline. And now Winterfell has been uh, t- it's in tatters as you as you put it, and Maester Lewin himself is gone now. So I think that's symbolic of a lot of the of the mileage that we've experienced 
experienced here on the road to Westeros of uh, these first two seasons of Game of Thrones. He was really good at busting Theon's chops the whole way through. It's great. Yeah. It's very, that good. Was very good. Very good stuff. Stannis. Yeah. We have a Stannis check in after last week's Blackwater failure, where ultimately his forces were not victorious. And he goes back to Melisandre and says, hey, you said you saw victory. What, 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 what is going on here? Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, <laughs> you're supposed to. You said we were gonna be win. This magic person who, who can see stuff, and she's like, I, I, I still see that. Like that's still what I see. And uh, you know, he's like, he's like choking her out at one point. It's very violent, very uncomfortable. Uh, and eventually, she's able to like compel him to look into the fires and like, see, I told you we're gonna win. And whatever it is I that see something. Sees like he seems to be re-energized. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Stannis was chased out of King's Landing with his tail tucked between his legs, but he seems like he has some new pep in his step by the end of the season. Okay. And then finally, let's go north of the wall because uh, we have uh, some big stuff going on here where Jon Snow is uh, not just being taken to uh, go to Mance Raider with Corrin Halfhand. He's also uh, a little bit that, you know, uh, Egret is sort of in charge of uh, hazing the prisoners. So she's like, uh, really, right. <laughs> <laughs> she's really good at that. But the, uh, the, the fake fight between John and Corrin Halfhand is really heating up. It is. And I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the episode does a great job of selling it. Like, I think like if you, especially because Blackwater has happened, um, in between the last time we saw John and Corin Halfhand and then this scene between John and Corin Halfhand, and there's really no like foreplay leading up to the fight between John and Corin Halfhand. I think it's the show is asking a lot of the viewer to like, track exactly what it is that Corin Halfhand is after with John, but he's basically trying to goad John into killing him to like solidify his loyalty to the free folk, to like make it look like mm-hmm. he is amenable to being in with the wildlings. Uh which is a cool idea and like could lead to a really great storyline, but I just think like the mechanism of getting us there, it's kind of just like, I don't know half-handedly handled when it comes to uh this storyline i think i just i i I always thought that like the way that john kills corn half and that final scene uh of his in season two has always just been one of like the weirder oddly choreographed scenes of the show for me yeah and john does indeed kill corn half and and tells him in his final words we are the watchers on the wall yeah, so I guess that's supposed to let us know that like Corrin's like, good job, buddy. You did it. You did the thing, and then he dies. And I mean, it's certainly enough for the other wildlings. Like, this part I understand. They're like, whoa, this guy just killed Corrin Halfhand. Like, Corrin Halfhand is like a legendary figure within the Night's Watch, but he's also legendary within the wildling culture for being legendary in the Night's Watch. So these guys have just watched the bastard of, of Ned Stark, who's already valuable for that reason, kill a member of the Night's Watch, and not just a member of the Night's Watch, but like the like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Castle Black. Uh, and yes. I think at that point... <laughs> Come on, do it now! We have the watchers me. on the wall! <laughs> Do it, John <laughs> Snow. The, get the castle block now. Come on. Uh, and I, I think like in, in that moment, I think that that is enough for like uh, the Lord of Bones and Egret to think that John Snow is legit and is somebody that they want to bring to see Mance Raider. So TBD in season three, how that's all going to okay. be handled. And then the final scene of season 
two of Game of Thrones that uh, we are still up at the Fist of the First Men and Sam is complaining about how cold it is and they're burning poop. And so it's really terrible there. But then we hear not one horn, not two horns, but three horns signifying White Walkers. And here they come and we see really for the first time the White Walker army. Yeah, we see our first, I mean, we saw the White Walker in the very first episode, the very first scene. But not like this. Of the very first episode of the show, but not like this exactly. So, like, this is our best look at them yet. It's pretty cool. I remember watching this for the first time being like, yeah, that's awesome. This is really, really great. This is clearly, like, the thread that is happening in Game of Thrones right now where there's all of this scheming and wheeling and dealing and plotting that's going on in King's Landing and this infighting between uh, the Lannisters and the Starks and all of that. And that's compelling and that's great and that's, like, the sauce of the show but there is this sort of like meta narrative that's happening it's like why are you guys all you know hot and bothered about each other when there are literally like ice monsters that are coming down to bear upon us and so we're getting a nice little reminder of that here in your final note of season two it is a really cool scene what an indictment on samuel tarley that this white walker like stares him straight in the face this is a human being and he just like keeps going like he doesn't even bother to stop to just like take out Samuel Tarley. Like, uh, is that is that how little of a threat yeah. Sam Tarley is to this guy? I didn't even care. Wow. It feels mean. Yeah. So like truly the last one picked on uh, on the kickball team. Yeah. All right. And Josh, that is season two. Long recap, long recap of what's going on here, but uh, a lot going on. This was uh, the longest episode of the season. I believe uh, the only one clocking in at over an hour here in season two. Yeah, it felt you felt it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going a lot of different places. Okay, so let's let's yeah. uh, without further ado, let's cue up the spoilers. Sure, let's do it. All right, kill that man. Kill him. Kill kill the guy with the horn. Uh, all right. Don't kill Sam. He's craving. <laughs> Come on. Do kill it. Sam. Kill him now. Do it. Uh, yeah, little they know that like Sam the Slayer is the new Schwarzenegger of the Night's Watch. Come on, Gilly. <laughs> Gilly, I'm here. Because uh, Sam's going to, I think Sam's going to screw this guy up. Is that the same one? Is it the same mistaken. one? With the- <laughs> I don't know if it's the same guy, but it's it's one of them. It's going to be his buddy if it's not going to be him. Bring me the obsidian. <laughs> Dylan, you son of a... I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that's great. That's nice. It's good that Sam is alive because he's going to be around to to slay some White Walkers in just a, just a little while from okay. now. Uh, we have a lot of different things to talk about. Let's, should we circle back to the House of the Undying and talk about uh, that? Because I think that that was interesting to me in terms of... I, I know it's much different than the book, and we could talk about that as well. But when Danny walks into the Red Keep... And it's snowing. And, you know, when I first watched this episode, it's like, okay, I guess this must be like, she must be in the future. Winter is coming. Okay. But I, this, I felt like that that scene from the house of the undying had particular significance now at this point in our game of Thrones timeline. Sure, especially, you know, we know that Danny is in Westeros now. Uh, she has been beyond the wall at this point, even, and has uh, saved the life of the person who we imagine is her true love, or at least her current love interest. So I think all of that stuff is interesting. Like, you can kind of connect the Call Drogo and Jon Snow stuff. Uh, but I do think that the the moment where she's walking in the Red Keep and the roof has been blown off of the place and snow is pouring in and we know that winter 
culture has fully arrived in Westeros. We've only got six episodes left here in the final season of Game of Thrones uh, through this recording. You could really see like this exact image happening in the final season mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones, right? Like, don't you think like this feels like some some version of this? is something that we could very easily get, whether Daenerys herself is actually in the Red Keep in a moment like this, or if just the, the roof of the, of the Red Keep is blown off and the, uh, the, the lack of Daenerys being there could be interesting. So I don't know. It, it, it definitely feels like the show's version of the House of the Undying is calling its shot on something that we will see in the final but season. But here's my problem, Josh. So how much of the House of the Undying is canon, whether it's from the book or the TV show? Because when we have Khal Drogo and he's talking about, I don't know, is this a dream? Is this is this my dream? Is it your dream? But I don't know that we're not saying that it's true. We're not saying that, oh, no, Khal Drogo did not enter the Nightland. So if that part of the vision we're saying, okay, well, that's just in her imagination, that part, why should we say that this first part that we see of her in the Red Keep is actually a vision of the future? Well, that's a big part of why I don't like uh, the way that the show did The House of the Undying, not just because like it's an iconic moment in the book and it's loaded with so much more stuff. And like I think a lot of really subtle ways of connecting Daenerys and Jon Snow that haven't even bared out yet because George R. R. Martin is taking forever to write these books. Uh, but I think that like there's less wait for it. And I apologize. Wiggle room in the interpretation of the way that the show unveiled that stuff in season two. Like there's just less to kind of speculate about. There's less to really chew on the call Drogo thing to me really felt like the show didn't know how to handle exactly the house of the undying sequence uh, as it's written in the books, probably because They've they've blown so much budget on Blackwater at that point that I think it would have been really hard to do faithfully. And it also feels like they really just wanted to get Jason Momoa back on the show because mm-hmm. he was popular and they liked him. Um, so that stuff is is tough. But I, I do think that like there are, there are things in that scene in the Red Keep, uh, not a lot, but there's there's enough in that in that scene in the Red Keep that I do think could serve as something of a guiding star for where the show is going on a larger scale and where it's going with Daenerys specifically. And I've definitely talked before uh, about how I really I really think that you know the the deal with John and Daenerys is that these are going to be people who are going to be fantastically instrumental in saving mankind uh, and like you know preventing total extinction at the hands of the White Walkers but I'd be really surprised if this show ends with either of them on the Iron Throne like I think that their destiny is less about being the person who's in charge of Westeros and more about being the person who is going to save Westeros and the throne can be occupied by somebody else if there's even a throne at all at the end of this and I think that seeing like the roof blown off of the place and winter pouring in that's all very evocative but the bigger moment for for me is Danny is about to touch the throne and she hears like the crying of the dragons. Like she hears something that like pulls her away. And so she's so close. She's so close to touching the throne, but she doesn't like she can't, she can't do it. Something else. There's something more important for her that draws her away. And so that's just to me, like going back and, and watching the scene in the context now of what we've gotten through seven seasons of the show really re solidifies that notion to me that I don't think that Daenerys is going to be sitting on the iron throne by the end of the show. Yeah. 
still to this date, the only time that we have seen uh, Daenerys and the Iron Throne in uh, the same place. Correct. Uh, and I don't know if it'll be the only time I, I so far, so far, probably. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's very likely that it could be. Um, I, I pour one out for the way that the house, of the undying sequence plays out in the books. Really, really cool in a clash of Kings. Uh, and just like the, the, the details, like there's like red wedding teases that happen in there. There's like flashbacks to Aerys Targaryen. There's some Rhaegar Targaryen stuff. There's a, uh, there's even, uh, there's like a little bit of like a, a hint at something that never has made the show. And I can't imagine ever will about this storyline with like a false Targaryen. It's just low. And it's been like such a great source of theorizing for people who are who are fans of the book first versus the show. And just it never provided that in terms of the show. Like I, it's not even so much that like it's not faithfully rendered that I care about. It's just so thin. It's just such a thin sequence. It's undone so quickly. It's not especially creepy or dangerous or anything. It just happens really fast. And that kind of feels like the entire season two storyline for Daenerys, which I think like short of Jamie Lynn. Lannister going to Dorne has to be the worst major storyline in Game of Thrones history. Yes, and I believe one of the things that comes out of the House of the Undying prophecies in the book is that the dragon does indeed have three heads. Is that correct? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, like kind of this. Uh, there's like the, you know, three fires must you light and three treasons will you know. There's a lot still to untangle from from all of that. We hear like the prince that was promised, I think, for the first time in the House of the Undying sequence. Uh, so, yeah, they're really connecting that. There's um, there's one image of like a blue flower that's growing from a, a from a wall of ice that really feels like it's a reference to Jon Snow. So that was a big cornerstone. And a lot of these Jon Snow is is Rhaegar Targaryen's child theories. Uh, so I don't know. The show just doesn't do anything, uh, really. Uh, it, it really just kind of, it's, it's a very thin portrayal of the House of the Undying, uh, which is which is a disappointment. I, I understand to a certain degree because so much budget must have gone into Blackwater, but I really think that uh, Benioff and Weiss screwed up in terms of one of the what should have been one of the biggest milestone moments of the yes, show. Uh, but the dragon has three heads uh, theory uh, really only gaining steam after Peter Dinklage's uh, fired Dorito commercial, which a lot of people <laughs> have felt like is an indication that he is right. a two of uh, Targaryen lineage. Oh my God. Putting a date on this podcast for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> so that's very good. Okay. I like it. I have I to like give credit lot. to my wife who first uh, said that during the Super Bowl. She's yeah. on top of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. What do you, what, what do you think of this, uh, this whole, I mean, we can, we can talk about Danny's storyline in, in total now. Cause of course she's going to lock up Zerozo and Doxos and Doria is also going to be Dorito <laughs> is going to be, uh, tossed into the, into the vault as well. Uh, have we been Lady too Dorito. hard on, uh, right? Well, it's not, go there at all uh you know have we been too hard on the daenerys storyline was it as bad as we feared it was not good it was not good i thought you were being a little hyperbolic coming into it but it really was not good it was so it was so boring (laughs) it was so boring and like completely useless and terrible and and like you know very cheap and cheesy looking uh, they did have, they had no idea what to do with Daenerys Targaryen this season. The good news is like the next two seasons with her are, are really fantastic. Uh, but this season, uh, it's, it's a, it's a disaster. The real Not disaster. Not great. Not great. What are you going to do? Okay. I want to talk about Stannis and what's going on with him and Melisandre. Cause I thought this was interesting because, you know, he gets mad and I feel like that he had a very human response here in terms of like, you told me 
I would win. Wow. And she's like, well, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, he, they're talking about, you know, you claim to be fighting for God and, you know, we lost. And Mel Saunders says to Santos, hey, look, I've been fighting far longer than you. And, of course, yeah. uh, we know that Mel Sandra is going to be a couple hundred years old. Yeah, so she's not lying, mm-hmm. you know, that much. You know, <laughs> she, we, she, we can question some of what she sees in the fire, uh, but she is definitely letting us know her, uh, if not her exact age, then certainly that she has been around a good minute longer than Stannis. Uh, yeah, the show, it, it's been good about that with the Melisandre stuff. I think that they have, uh, they planted their flags and, uh, it, it all leads to the, to the appropriate place. I'm curious about, like, what does he see in the fire at the end of that scene yeah. that like gets him all well, revved up? That's what I want to know. That's a great question. And even leading up to that, she tells him, you're going to betray the men serving you. You're going to betray your family. It will all be worth it. You will be king. Right. Yeah. But she's wrong. I mean, like she's right about a lot of the details, but like he's going to be king of yeah. nothing. He's not even going to, you know, have a head for, for terribly. And much then longer. she says to him, Hey, look into these flames. Look, I want to show you this. So what is it that they see? I believe it's at the end of season three. Does she show Davos the white walkers? Is that what they're looking at? I think, I don't know why uh, that would get I don't know. I'm excited. Mean- Right. I mean, it's not, if I remember right, like season three is a real much ado about nothing for Stannis Baratheon's storyline. I don't think that a ton of stuff happens there, except for, uh, how quickly I forget the leeches that are going to be applied to the country. That will, that will happen next season, but there won't be like a, a big momentous thing for Stannis until the end of season four when he's going to go and save the Night's Watch from the wild things. So maybe he's seeing some of that. Is it possible? he is seeing some of the battle outside of Winterfell I can't imagine so like you'd really have to edit that hard in order to make that look triumphant for him so I don't know maybe he sees uh, his forces uh, like uh, riding around Man's Raider it's like ha ha what a day for Team Stannis yeah, maybe that's it. I can't think of like another thing that happens for Stannis in the future that is uh, that is even remotely uh, pleasant enough to, <laughs> to to be you know victorious. Unless she's like showing him stuff from like the Red Wedding, and even though he's not there, like he'll see like Rob Stark getting killed. Maybe he sees Joffrey getting killed. Uh, but in terms of what she actually showed him. Uh, I was watching that scene today. I was like, man, I, I, I don't have like a great explanation for, for, <laughs> for what she's pitching him mm. on because it's all going to be so terrible for Stannis except for that one fight against Man's Yeah, Raider. No, I have that in my notes too. What does Stannis see here? <laughs> it's like, what is it? Yeah, what did you do? Yes. <laughs> great magic trick, Melisandre. I want to talk about Arya and Jack and Hagar and this offer that Jack and is making to her to, hey, why don't you come to Bravos? And he basically sells her like, come with me to Bravos. I'll teach you how to be a faceless man and then you can get revenge on all your enemies. And Josh, isn't that exactly the opposite of what the deal is when Arya comes to Bravos in season five? Yeah. So, I mean, part of that, I think, is because the, you know, they, they loved, uh, I, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to try. This name's Tom W. Let's just go there. The actor who plays Jack and Hagar. I think they really liked him and what he brought to the table. And I think that they really wanted to find a way to bring that actor back into Game of Thrones. But in the, in the book, when, when Arya goes to the House of Black and White and begins her faceless man training, she is, uh, she's training under a totally different person. Like it's not, you know, he's not in the mix at all it's the kindly man 
uh, is the name of the character. So I think probably at this point, they don't know in the writing of the story that she'll be reunited with Jack and Hagar specifically. The other thing, too, is it's not entirely clear that the Jack and Hagar that she does encounter in Ravos later on in the show is the same guy Hmm. as this guy. Like, I I think, like, it's totally within the realm of interpretation that the person who she's training under is just using a familiar face uh, that's going to, you know, make her feel comfortable. And I think, like, even that whole scene where, like, uh, you know, he get it looks like he's poisoned to death and then she pulls face after, you know, after face after face off of this person and then Jack and is standing behind her anyway. I think that's the season five finale, if I'm remembering right. Uh, like, I, I feel like all of that points to the fact that, like, Jack and Hagar is an elusive concept and the person that she's dealing with at Bravos is a different okay. guy. Well, he's really selling her a bill of goods because that's not what the faceless man is going to be about of how to get revenge on all these different people because they really have to yeah. beat that out of Aria when and she goes there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, to- it's a totally different thing that he's, uh, that he's pitching her on. Uh, but what, what, al- what else is cool is, and it's not going to amount to anything on the show, but the, the face that he's wearing at the end of season two, when he turns around the face that you're not such a fan yeah. of Rob, uh, is, is also going to be the face of a person that somebody in the Citadel encounters in, uh, in the fourth book in the series. Uh, and that hasn't really bared, uh, fruit yet in terms of uh in terms of the book but there's a lot of uh speculation that jack and hagar has like infiltrated old town in the citadel wearing this new face uh for purposes unknown uh so it felt like the the show was was setting that up as a possible path and i think a lot of this does come down to the fact that george r R. martin just hasn't delivered those next two books uh and so benioff and weiss and the rest of their writers team they kind of just have to scramble and figure out what they're going to do from there but at least it's nice to see the setup uh, if if only they had uh, the follow through, but what are you, you going to do? Let's go back to the Red Keep and let's talk about Joffrey ending up uh, getting betrothed to Marjorie, Josh. And yeah. I thought that there was some interesting uh, stuff there in that scene. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly, just to talk about the horse poop again. Like, I, I think that the the thing that's worth talking about here in the spoiler section is the show really does, you know, go out of its way to not just set up like the Red Wedding and a lot of those big monumental moments, but they're setting up the way that Tywin is going to die ah. here. That like, you know, you've got this moment here where you're with Tywin in like this incredible royal moment and there's this contrast with his horse just taking a dump, much how you're going to have Tywin, you know, who is who's going to be like so pivotally important. He's just going to be like the most important person in the seven kingdoms. And he's just going to get died while he's taking a poop. Uh, He's just going to get killed while he's taking a poop. So uh, I think that there's the, I think that's just like a fun, like little connection there. Like I think that the show is going out of its way to really just connect those two things. Mm -hmm. And so when we see Marjorie and Joffrey talking about how they're going to end up being hitched, uh, Joffrey tells Marjorie, I will love I will love you from this day until my last day and his last day Mother. will be their <laughs> wedding so that's he's not yeah. wrong about that accurate <laughs> as much as much as he loves her at all you know i don't sure know. sure but yeah he seems pretty taken with her i mean it, does he like the alliance does he have some attraction for marjorie because i mean that's not really visited again the rest of the way that joffrey has the hots for marjorie you know he, no he has the hots for 
killing people and mutilating and torturing people. And like the only time that he's going to be like sexually aroused by Marjorie is the time that they're like going to like bond over his crossbow. I think yeah. in season three. So, and I don't know. So, um, but he seems a little charmed by her. So maybe that he likes, you know, getting the new, you know, uh, the new object of attention. Maybe with Sansa, he had that a little bit too. It's fantastic uh, if only because now we have Marjorie firmly in the King's Landing storyline for the next several seasons. And she is she is such a good character. I think you and I really both really love Natalie Dormer as Marjorie. I think that she is one of the most underrated characters when you think about like the best characters of Game of Thrones and like who are the obvious candidates and everything. I think that she's somebody that doesn't come to mind immediately. And it's a testament to the fact that it's such a robust cast with so many great people, so many great actors actors and so many great characters uh but she just kind of i think goes unmentioned and that's a shame because she's fantastic and i think what she's going to bring energy wise to like the cersei storyline in particular it's going to be fun it's going to be a really really good time having her in, in king's landing proper moving yeah forward. and then i also thought that it was weird that cersei seems to be pushing it in this scene in terms of she's like oh yes but you know uh this would be so much better if you were married to marjorie instead of sansa well, because it's she's right, mm-hmm. you know, it would definitely be the better deal. But I think um, she has no interpersonal interaction with Marjorie Tyrell yet. And I think like once that kind of starts happening, I think is when she's going to be like, ah, yeah. not a fan, not a okay. fan. Uh, what about the storyline up in uh, the north? I guess uh, anything from uh, the Winterfell storyline that you want to touch on as a brand and Hodor and Osha and Rickon will uh, start to head towards the wall. No, um, not really. I mean, like Maester Lewin saying to Osha, you're the only one who can protect them. It's like, yeah. well, man, the sh- show really forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's just going to be killed in unceremonious fashion. Not, you know, uh, you know, I guess in a, in a good little while from now, but still, uh, no, I think that the, um, uh, I'm very, I don't know. The, the Theon story next season is going to be a tough one, of course. And they're setting that up decently well here. I don't know that you ever see the iron Islanders and what happens to them, or if you just hear about, uh, what Ramsey does there, uh, uh, but obviously the Ramsey Bolton hype train, uh, it is pulling into the station and we, we're going to hop aboard that and we'll be, we'll be all over that in season three coming up very, very shortly. Um, but no, nothing really to, to talk about on, on my end, unless you've got something there. I think we talked through the Sam, the Slayer mm-hmm. stuff. Jon Snow is going to infiltrate the wildlings. That's going to be the storyline for season three. They're setting that up here. Uh, not too much more beyond that stuff for okay, me. Okay, and we got a collision course with the Red Wedding, is, of course, coming up in and season three, as well as uh, Rob and Talissa are married, and uh, that <laughs> their death is coming up nine episodes away on our countdown to the Red Wedding and many more highlights oh coming in season three. Josh, you want to do the MVP and LVP real quick for season two? Oh, LVP. Uh, well, we said that the, uh, the, that I don't even remember his name, the guy who knocked Theon on the back of the head. No, is he the LVP or is there somebody who is even worse? <laughs> of course. It has yeah. to be. Can it just, can it just be cars overall? I mean, good. Well, so he, is you know, pa- <laughs> he is the worst. He is the worst. 
Priapri is uh, I don't I don't know if he's still alive in the books or like I think he I think he may have uh, he may have encountered Euron Greyjoy in the book if I'm remembering right and I think like he's uh, Euron Greyjoy's prisoner or something like that somebody who has a fresher memory can remind us but uh, the the book like has a little more business potentially with the warlocks coming up if not Priapri in particular uh, that's a that's a loose thread that's hanging out there but mercifully if season two does anything right in the Danny storyline, at least they like fully, <laughs> completely a hundred percent wrap up everything in Karth. Like Karth is still trickling out in the book and that's fine. Cause it's much better in the book, but on the show, God, it was hot garbage, hot garbage, like wildfire mm-hmm. garbage. Uh, so peace out. Pyat pre definitely LVP of the season among the candidates for LVP of the whole yeah, show. And then MVP, it has to be the dink, right? It's always the dink. Like, well, when's it not going to be the dink? I mean, there, there will be seasons yeah. coming up where it's not yeah. the dink. But this is, I, uh, I think yeah. this is uh, really, you know, I, I think maybe you could say, what, season four, you know, he gives a, a run for yeah. the, the money. Yeah. You know, I think that there may be, there might be a higher high there, but I feel like overall, over 10 episodes, I think that this is his uh, really, his Sergeant Pepper season. This is the MVP season wow. uh, for Tyrion. Yeah, uh, I, hard to hard to argue with that. Uh, I think that's right, and I, I think that the thing that's so great about about where we are right now in our rewatch is like we've got so much great Tyrion stuff still ahead of us. You know, we've really got twenty more episodes of just like all timer Tyrion stuff. I think it starts to take a little bit of a dip with season five and season six uh, and season seven, even a little. Uh, but the first four seasons of this show, uh, it's such prime time Tyrion time. So I'm I'm pumped to get into all of that. But he was he was fantastic this season. For sure. He was he was really, really All right, Josh. Do you want to set up the season three premiere? Um, yeah, I mean, I think season three's premiere is a lot of a lot of chess pieces as well and kind of setting up the board. And I think rather than, you know, really looking at the season premiere and like setting up what we're getting into season three as a whole, I do think. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think season two, to me, like, we'll have to, we'll, we'll have to measure it against season five when we get through season five. But even thinking on, on season five, I think that it has higher highs than, uh, well, season two has Blackwater. But overall, like, Blackwater is really the thing that saves season two. This is a season that is, like, just filled with setup. The King's Landing storyline is, is pretty great. Uh, but so many of these other storylines are really just spinning their wheels at best or are interesting, but not necessarily crazy important so as as much as like game of thrones can ever be kind of blah or bad like season two is there uh it was it was a little difficult to get through and you know the complete contrast of that is that we're now heading into the two best seasons of the show uh so season three cannot wait to get to everything is going to be like we're on red wedding high alert the whole time i think um and then season four is going to be absolutely marvelous once we get there but this will be the last season of uh of these rewatch podcasts rob where you and i will have a spoiler free and a spoiler filled section so uh better start morning as we are getting into these only next 10 episodes left for that all right and look at us uh, that we're getting close uh, two seasons in the books in our Game of Thrones rewatch. It's marvelous. Sorry, it's morgulous. It's morgulous <laughs> is the word. Uh, 
yeah no it's it's great i'm excited i'm really pumped to get into season three in just a week's time hope you guys are enjoying as you are along for the ride all right as well. well great stuff follow josh wiggler over on the twitter he's at round howard so much content coming out from this man right now too much not just everything going on in the world <laughs> of uh, game of thrones did you want to give a comment on uh, benioff and weiss potentially at the helm of a oh, star yeah. wars movie yeah, that, as we were getting ready to record this, this news came out. So by the time you're listening to it, uh, to the podcast, perhaps there's, there's even more details. Uh, but we saw the news flash that David Benioff and Dan Weiss, uh, the creators of the, uh, of the Game of Thrones, of, of the adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire, are going to be making a series of Star Wars movies, not even just a Star Wars movie. Apparently a bunch of Star Wars movies. So that's exciting. Well, you know, I look, think it's one. <laughs> One thing to get the job of directing a Star right. Wars movie, it's not necessarily the same as being finished with directing a Star Wars movie. Let's, you know, don't count those chickens right. before they hatch. Damn. Yeah. And who knows, who knows where it's going to go? And I think even in their statement, it looks like they're saying like, yeah, we can't wait to get into this once Game of Thrones is done. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not even looking at this until like, I think, you know, uh, it, we wouldn't even see anything from them until 2021, probably. So years and years and years and years away. Uh, Probably, uh, gotta imagine this is not great for, uh, for Confederate if you were <laughs> one of like the five people really looking forward to Confederate. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> that's probably the best, the best outcome of this, uh, the Star Wars news is like, yeah, fine, go make a Star Wars movie as long as it means you're not doing freaking Confederate. Uh, like I'm okay. I'm okay with whatever you guys want to yes. do. Okay. All right. Great stuff. Uh, really looking forward to diving into season three with everybody. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say over on postshowrecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.